Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. I am Steve Wiss, and I'm joined by Jonathan for Dugba. We uh, unfortunately there wasn't an episode last week. We were both ill, but uh, back fighting fit now. Well, I certainly am. I hope you are as well, Jonathan. It's good to have you on board, my friend. Loads to discuss at the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to start off in Sweden, but uh, Jonathan, hope you are fit and well again. Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody. Yep, I'm. Uh, I'm back. We. I don't. It was a, quite a curious case of uh, double illness. I, I don't think. Uh, I don't know how that happened, but uh, it did happen. And uh, yeah, so both of us were a bit under the weather last week. Different, different reasons why. I don't exactly know, but uh, we're back now. We're good. Um, yeah, and it's been a good week actually in Sweden and Norway. Of course, we've got the uh, European games as well to preview this week. Um, the, the Champions League and the Europa League qualifiers are back. So we do have a, a little bit to talk about, don't we, Steve? Yeah, it's. I have to say, it was a very strange round in uh, Svenskan and uh, Lita Seri, a terrible round for favourites. There were some very strange results going around, um, some very unexplained uh, results at times, I must say. So there's plenty to discuss there. We're, we're going to start in the Svenskan. I'm just going to go through the top five in the table now. Hecken on 25 points, Jogarten 24, Eikor on 24, Hammerby 21, Malmo on 21 points. Down at the bottom, Helsingborg on six points, Degafors seven, Gif Sundsvall on nine. Now, we have got to start in uh, Stockholm derby, Jogarten against Hammerby, a win for Diff. And this in itself is a rarity, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> How often do they win a Stockholm derby? I know they actually did beat Hammerby last season, in fairness. But um, it's very rare they would uh, even keep a clean sheet in a derby game against Hammerby as well. So uh, you could say this result was in many ways a surprise. Uh, but I was looking at the stats and watched a bit of the game. It seemed deserved to me. But um, what did you make of, of this uh, Stockholm derby, Jonathan? Really good game. Uh, good advert for Swedish football, I thought, on and off the pitch in terms of like the the atmosphere before the game. Um, I saw it got tweeted across all the kind of you know the kind of ultras websites and the kind of uh, tifo Twitter accounts that do the rounds of, of of like fans, you know tifos and celebrating and stuff like that. Um, before the match, there was like a little march I think from the Uruguayan fans to, to the stadium through the streets of Stockholm, and that kind of went viral. Um, then, of course, in the stadium, you always get the usual kind of. Um, cacophony of sounds and noises and flares and sort of um you know the 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 banners and things like that so yeah it was a typical kind of uh, stockholm derby as you've mentioned there with a the table you know both teams knew that if they if they could get a win um they'd head into the top three and put themselves in touching distance of top uh so of course and then the game being played on sunday uh they already knew that of course aik had already lost you know no spoilers but um, yeah, if you haven't heard that result, of course, ARK lost and Malmo had lost. So it, it was an extra bit of incentive for both teams to kind of go in and, and you know, cl- climb, climb up the table. Um, I thought the game, I actually had quite a lot of observations about this game. So I am quite interested to sort of dissect the game a little bit and, and, and chat about it, the, the, the two different styles. I did say on the Patreon show, didn't I, Steve, that um, I made a prediction on it, which wasn't right in the end, to be fair. But I think it could have been right. I said over 2.5 goals. And um, to be honest, I think that the nature of the game it could have easily been over 2.5 goals. Uh, Hammerby hit the crossbar. I think Jürgen hit the post. Uh, there was a lot of good chances, you know, just missed. Um, 
neither team was as as effective from set pieces as they used to be. I mean, pre-match, uh, Marty Fuentes uh, and even I think the Eurogarden squad, someone from the squad commented about how good Hammerby have been this season from set pieces. I think they've scored roughly, I think I read 11 goals from set pieces. I'm not entirely sure if that's true, but a, a really high number of goals from set pieces. Um, so they weren't as effective from those set plays this, this time around. But ultimately, of course, uh, they did manage to get the win. It was a 1-0 victory. Uh, kind of a scrappy game. I mean, in the end, in terms of like the, the scoreline, 1-0, uh, you would have maybe expected more goals, as I said. But, but it was Gustav Wickheim off the bench uh, and an assist from Emmanuel Banda, who also came off the bench, um, just after Hammerby had made a few changes, actually, to their team. And, yeah, it was... Um, you know, of course, the atmosphere for these Stockholm derbies is intense. I definitely recommend any listener, if you could ever get to a Stockholm derby, then definitely take the ticket. Um, well worth it because of the atmosphere, the, what it means to both sets of fans. And it, and in the end, of course, Eurogarden got that victory. It's not a good time for Hammerby. They've had a bit of a poor run in terms of their recent results. Um, but all in all, yeah, for Eurogarden, it's a, it's a massive result and it sort of keeps them um, really in the title race, to be honest. Uh, for Hammerby, this is now their third good third game without a win. So, you know, they're kind of, they've, from that sort of early start of the season where they won five straight, they've really started to wobble a little bit. I think they've won one game in seven. And um, things are just starting, the wheels are just starting to wobble a little bit for mm. Hammerby. Gustav Wickheim, ex-Stroms Godset, I remember him there over the years, scored the only goal of the game. The crowd went absolutely bonkers, didn't they? The, react, the noise was huge uh, when this goal went in the back of the net. But um, I looked at the expected goals for this game, Jonathan, and um, it was 3.04 for Diff and 1.36 for Hammerby. That's according to Scout. So anyone who was on the overs for this game was very, very unlucky. So your tip was very, very unlucky there. But I mean, when I, I caught the second half of this and uh, Hammerby, I mean, that crossbar still rattling, isn't it? The amount of times they hit it in the, um, in the last 20 minutes there. Weren't necessarily easy chances, but there were some... The great efforts on goal. I'm not sure who was um, the you know the guy who missed so many chances for Jurgen. Um, obviously, they well were below their xG. I'd imagine Edvar Hassan was probably uh, guilty of missing chances. Asoro, neither of them seemed clinical enough. But a one nil win uh, for them. I mean, tactically, you said you wanted to talk about uh, tactics of this game. What was the setup? How did both teams sort of uh, play each other off? Um, it was quite a fascinating tactical battle. Yeah, it was a good game because it asked a lot for both coaches. I said in the season, in the weekend preview show on Patreon, patreon.com slash Nordic Football Podcast, if you want to obviously uh, join that. We've got quite a few. I think we had a new patron last week. So if you're listening to this free show, then thank you so much um, for subscribing. Um, and everyone else who subscribed, we really appreciate your support uh, for the Patreon and hope you're getting good value from it. But yeah, I mentioned on the Patreon show about how both managers are kind of quite in good, quite good form. You know, both of them are sort of attacking quite well. Not, not not form in terms of, like um, like I said, Hammerby's form has, has dipped off a bit. But in terms of the way they, they score goals, they're entertaining attacking sides. You know, Hammerby, um, you know, two of their last three games before this, they, they, they'd scored two and three goals. You know, they beat Hanor Shopping 3-0. Um, and then they come from 2-0 down against Hacken, obviously the title, uh, the, 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 the league the league uh, leaders come from 2-0 down and, and, and got a 2 all draw in the last 10 minutes. So Hammerby, they have got that attacking ability. And, that, and you know, Jurgarden, they absolutely battered. Sunsfeld in the week before um, scored five goals against them. So I, I was really intrigued to see how both teams would attack, uh, approach the game from an attacking point of view. And I expected it to be open. 
The main question mark before the game was, of course, uh, for Hamby, they had a lot of they had an injury and a suspension in defence. Uh, Mads Fenger, I think, was missing, and it basically meant that they had to play Dennis Widgren, uh, formerly of Ostersunds. He had to play as a left-sided centre back. Now he's more of a left back, to be honest, but he played as a left-sided centre back. Now, I think that Jurgen, my criticism in the first half was that, or my question in the first half was, could Jurgen maybe played uh, Joel Osorio against um, Widgren because Widgren doesn't have the most amount of pace. They had a 4-3-3. Osoro was on the right-hand side of that 4-3-3, and Osoro was very fast. And in the game against Gif Sundsvall, the 5-2, he was really, really, he really got in that outside channel, um, sort of between the, you know, the half spaces between the sort of left-sided centre-back and the left-back. He really did a good job getting in that those spaces and making really positive runs and getting in behind. Um, Findel especially was playing sort of ball, through balls to him, and he was latching onto them. And I wondered whether, um, you know, I was surprised that with Widgren there, surprised that Jurgen didn't try that more often, sort of those, that similar ball. There there was one moment in the first half where they tried it and had some success and uh, Osorio got a shot off, went out for a corner. Um, it was a good save in the end, but it wasn't wasn't the best of shots. It was sort of like a high shot straight at the keeper. But um, that to me was like a little glimpse of things to maybe come. But what uh, Jurgen actually did, they swapped um, the manager, the joint managers, of, as you know, Lagerloff and... Uh, and um, Lagerloff and uh, and the other joint manager they 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 swapped Osoro to the left hand side, which I found strange. I think it was because of uh, Edwin Kurtulus, the right sided centre back of Hammerby, who's had a really good season by the way, been very good from set pieces. He got a yellow card uh, um, in the game, and I think they switched Osoro to maybe challenge him on the left side. But I actually think that was a bit of a um, I queried that and I wasn't sure about that. Hammerby had sixty one percent possession in the first half, but the thing is they struggled to create clear cut chances with that possession. Only Bubakar Chirali on the left-hand side of their 4-3-3 was really effective. Um, I thought Kolander, Dennis Kolander on the right-hand side and Gustav Ludwigs and Steve, I thought they were both quite poor. Um, they were very ineffective. And I think that was the difference between the two teams in the end. I think the substitutes for Duogard and the attacking impetus that Bander and Wittkheim brought, um, I think that just edged the game in the end. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think, you know, when you look at Ludwigsen, Ludwigsen was really quiet. And I did tweet during the match that I think um, I think I think this was a game that Hammerby really missed Swedberg, um, and even Michael Lardo maybe his pace. I thought both of them were kind of missed, especially Swedberg because Luke Ferguson didn't really offer much at all. And uh, from from Jurgen's perspective, of course, Edvarsson, you mentioned him there. You know, he loves to do, he loves to talk. Um, he's done so many interviews. I think he's done more interviews than goals scored, but um, he. He, he was quite ineffective, and obviously, when he went off, Wickham came on and scored almost, almost straight away. So that was a, you know, that was a sign. But Adversum didn't play; all, his all-round game wasn't poor, but you know, he wasn't effective. But the difference was between the two teams that Duogarden had those options from the bench that could come on uh, and change the game. I think with ha- uh, Hammerby, one or two players like Bursara um, have just sort of dipped; their form has dipped recently, and I think that was the difference between the two sides in the end. Second half, once they, the goal was scored. Sometimes, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, Steve, if you've got any evidence or research about um, five substitutes, because I, my theory is that five substitutes kills the flow of the game. And I think, I don't know if it's just anecdotally or maybe my own bias, but I feel as if I see a lot of games in the second half just kind of petering out when you, you want it to like explode. But the five subs, just I feel that more often than not, it kills the rhythm of the match. Um, there was also a lot of substitutes in this game, Steve, in terms of like there were stoppages, both keepers, I think, had um, injury problems. There was 11 minutes of stoppage time. We actually played 100 minutes in this game, um, more than 100 minutes. So 
that also killed the flow of the match in the second half after the goal. And I think that was partly also why we didn't see sort of maybe over 2.5 goals. But um, that's my kind of uh, top-down analysis of the game. But I don't know if you've got any evidence, you know, from the betting world about um, fire substitutes and how it impacts matches. To be honest, for a minute there, I was thinking that Kim Bergstrand is like the, the man who must not be named. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, and Ludvigsen, by the way, I totally agree. I think I had him in last year in my fantasy team a few weeks and he was very frustrating as a fantasy owner. Um, he's just not quite elite in the fizzy. I mean, it's a good way of uh, describing him. But um, you make a good point. To be honest, I've not really noticed that too much. I know you... A uh, big, um, not a fan of the fire sub substitutes rule, and um, I, I probably agree with you, but I've got kind of so used to it now that um, I don't really notice too much, really, to be honest with you, Jonathan. I think there's positives and negatives for both types of team, good and bad. Um, you know, I don't really think in say Arsenal's going to lead us it should really make that much difference in theory, but there was a lot of stop start in this game. I remember watching it and there was like, it went to the 101st minute or something, didn't it? There was a lot of time wasting as you would expect in a, in a derby match. But um, there's no doubt that the right sort of timing of substitutions can impact the game now. That That's for sure. And um, it's a big win for Diff. I, I still, I don't trust their defence. I think on another day, Hammerby definitely could have scored goals here. Um, yet it has kept five clean sheets this season, which a respectable amount, but they always look vulnerable to me whenever I watch your garden. They do have an offense which creates a, a lot of chances. I guess the question from here is, and I, I to be honest, had kind of written them off after I think they lost to Helsingborg, drew to Helsingborg around uh, around May, early May. Um, but um, are they actually in this title race? Are they good enough to win the Arsenal title this season? Um, yeah, I mean, on your before I answer that, your, on your point about the, uh, the defence of Diff, uh, I think one of the other keys I didn't mention of the game was I thought Bubakar Chouali in the first half was really getting at Piotr Johansson, the right back of Diff. Um, and I thought if they were, if Hammerby were going to score, it was going to be Chouali. Um, there was one cleared off the line, in fact, by Ekdal. Uh, Chouali had a sh created some good movement down that left side, created a shot. Uh, Ekdal cleared it off the line. And then I think, I can't remember who it was, but it was a bit slow to react. Uh, I think it was Edvardson possibly, but, um, you know, there was a chance to sort of poach in on, on the rebound and, and just in the six-yard box, but uh, it was cleared. Um, Chirali was good in that first half, and I thought if anything was going to happen for Hammerby, it would be from him. Uh, then You know, the new signing, they've waited for him from injury for so long to get back, and he's back now, scored, obviously, um, and was lively. But to be honest, my my man of the match in this game, in the end, was Piotr Johansson. I think the way he dealt with um, Chirali in the second half, 1v1, he had one or two 1v1s in the early second half where he shut him down and uh, almost demoralised him, to be honest. And I thought that, I was thinking that he would, um, Chirali would win this battle. And, you know, sometimes you see a right back sort of getting dominated and you, think you, you worry for them, you know what I mean? Especially Chirali's physicality. Um, but uh, to be fair to Johansson, he stood him up in the second half a couple of times early on, won the tackle. And from there, he was really solid. And uh, to be honest, I think overall, um, he was probably my man of the match on the balance of play. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a great result for Diff. It, it puts them in the title race, definitely. I think that, you know, you, you also talked about kind of the stoppage time. Um, there were some comments after the match. Uh, Basara, I think Magnus, Magnus Eriksson had said, and obviously Magnus Eriksson, he loves these derbies. He's always first one in the crowd, you know, when Diff win. You know, he's the one who's rallying the fans and sort of geeing everyone up. He said after the game that um, he felt like Hammerby were wasting time on purpose. Um, 
and Nahe Basara sort of commented and said, you know, uh, it's not as if we're playing Real Madrid. So he disagreed with that. He said, you know, we feel like we're evenly matched with Jurgarden, and of course we would never try and, you know, just grab a point where they're there to win. So, you know, take your pick on that, who, who you believe. Obviously then Ericsson came back and said, well, they're not exactly Barcelona either themselves. Um, so there was a little bit of back and forth as there always is with these Stockholm derbies. But um, yeah, I think, I think Jurgarden are in the title race. I think, you know, we're going to talk about a few of the other teams now coming up, but uh I think what we've learned this week, Steve, there's, there's no clear favourite. Um, we did talk about that on the preview show as well a little bit. There's no clear favourite for this title. You know, there's only five points between seventh and first at the moment. There's games in hand everywhere. Um, there's European games to come for Malmo, of course. I don't know, and for other teams as well in the Conference League, I don't know really who you would call at this moment in time to win it. And I think that with one point between Jurgen and Hakan, um, I think Jurgen are definitely in it. I think the defence is okay. Um, the key is just keeping on to their players. I don't see anyone who's urgently going to leave. Isaac Keane is maybe linked with a few clubs and one or two others at that diff, but I think they can probably keep maybe some of their players. Um, but as it stands, they're definitely in it. I think I think Hammerby is the one that would be disappointed with this run of games. I think if they'd have maybe picked three or four more points up, obviously they'd be top. And I feel like they've kind of wasted a few, a few opportunities in the last few weeks. Um, they've lost Swedberg. They've lost Michael Lardo. Um, the form of some of their top players have dipped. GAs, who we did a special Patreon uh, scouting report on, you know, he's not going to Celtic, but he's he's been linked with other clubs in Bulgaria and elsewhere. You know, he, if he leaves again, that's a key loss. So I think this week was worse for Hammerby, obviously, it's quite an obvious thing to say. But um, I definitely think Jurgen are in the title race. Yeah, I worry for Hammerby now, to be honest. Um, one win in seven games. They've lost players. Um, they look... Dare I say they they look out of it now as well? It's not often a title winning side goes a stretch of one winning seven games, is it? So, um, but there's some strange stuff going on in in the Asvenska at the moment. It feels like the door is open for a lot of teams because sides are dropping points left, right, and centre. Um, Malmo dropped points against Gifson as well. We'll talk about that in a minute. I know you really want to uh, have a strong opinion on AIK who have lost uh, 1-0 at home to Mialbi, and that follows on from only a one-all draw against Degaforce. Um, simply not good enough. Again, if you really want to win titles, you've got to win matches uh, like that, haven't you? Icor against Mialbi then, 1-0 win. I mean, we've, we've kind of seen this before. I mean, was it Mialbi went to Malmo last year and won 1-0 in very similar sort of circumstances? They are the sort of side we've said before. They, they're, a night, they're an absolute bastard to face, aren't they? You know, this defence that's just compact and then they hit you on the counter-attack and, and before you know it, you, you, you lose a game of football and um, they're very well-coached outfit, like you, you've said many times before. But AIK should be beating a tie like Mialbi at home, shouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, uh, the bottom line is uh, AIK nil, Mialbi won. Uh, not sure really where to go with that in terms of how it went. All, all, te- all the top teams will have dropped points this weekend. Malmo dropped points, ARK dropped points, Hammerby have dropped points, Hacken dropped points. So it's a it's a great weekend for, for Jurgen, to be honest. Uh, also a great weekend, you could argue, for for EFK Jotterborg, you know, if you put them in the bracket. Uh, and and Kalmar and even dropped points. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'd say EFK Jotterborg are probably, you know, they're only five points off the off the title now. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to win it, but, you know, that tells you how the fine margins are at this moment in time at the top of the league. Um, every other team really had a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare. So um, I think the biggest nightmare probably you could argue was AIK. Uh, booed off at the full time. 
Um, they've lost to Melby side who had been in not the best of form. They'd started the season so well, um, but I kind of dipped. Uh, they hadn't won since the 1st of May, obviously against Helsingborg at home. So, you know, they've gone five games actually without a win and then they've gone to Stockholm and, and beaten AIK. Um, I mentioned it on the weekend preview show, Steve, Silas and Wanquo. I didn't I say it, I said on the show I would tip AIK to win this game, but I have a feeling a Silas and Wanquo goal will sort of cost them at some point. Um, and that was why I said I couldn't comfortably sort of tell you to sort of tip AIK. Uh, and lo and behold, a Silas and Wanquo goal did win them the game even. I didn't think they'd maybe win it, but, you know... Um, in that sense of them nicking a goal, it was exactly it went exactly as I thought. AIK lacked goals. Um, you know, they they lack that impetus. They've lost Jordan Larson, so maybe there's mitigating circumstances. They're waiting for John John Guadetti to arrive and obviously be fit and play. Um, so there was a hole there up front, inevitably. Um, but Hui has also had injury problems. But I really felt that um they they were awful to be honest, Steve, in terms of their attacking impetus. Slow, laboured. Uh, you know, the tempo of the Jurgen Hamiby game was was quite high. Um, and you could kind of understand that. The tempo of this game was low. Malby sat Mialbi sat in a deep block and just said, listen, give us what you got. Um, any long balls over the top, they would dealt with it. Uh, you know, I thought Chris Ack, for example, I thought uh, Carlos Grassi was fantastic. There was one late tackle in the last minute of the game from Haliti. Uh, block, I think it was, was unbelievable to stop a goal, basically. Um, throwing the bodies on the line, Mialbi. Whereas AIK, I mean, the thing to mention here, Steve, I mean, there's a lot of criticism from AIK fans after this game for the, for the players. If you look at the actual lineup of the team, you know, a lot of people said this is maybe one of the weakest AIK teams they've seen for, for quite some time, especially in forward areas. If you look at the actual team, Steve, um, you had Zach Elbuzedi, who, you know, I said in pre-season, he's the, non, he's the sort of... Um, He's a sort of Swedish Grealish, if that makes sense. You know, he's played for Bolton Wanderers. He's played for Lincoln City. I always felt it was a bit of a weird move when he went there. I didn't really quite get the scouting behind him. Um, and I have to say, this was probably the game where I kind of, I've been sort of 50-50. At times, he's looked really good last season. Um, and then at times, it looks like he can't, you know, you could give him a month of Sundays and he won't beat his man on the outside, on the wing. Um, and this was a time where it really the game just went past him. He couldn't get into it and he was subbed off. Um, you look at kind of uh, other players in the team, Benjamin Kimpionka, who started up front, Steve. I mean, the last time I saw him, and I'm not joking, it was in non-league. He was playing for Torquay United and, and, and looked poor. And, you know, sometimes it just tells you about the luck of players sometimes in a way, because he's kind of managed to go from, from non-league football. He played, he had a loan at Southend. He had a loan at Torquay, 10 games, no goals. Uh, and next, next thing you know, he's in El Svenskan. Um, he was awful. I'd, I'd, I'd almost go as far as to say that will we see him again in an AIK shirt in terms of as a, as a leading striker? Not sure because he was that bad. Um, obviously, they you know he came from Sunderland, but Sunderland sort of let him go on uh, on a free, I believe. Um, and that basically summed it up. Those two up front were were, were nothing short of terrible, really. Stefanelli is hit and miss, um, and you know so with AIK they're, they're defensively all right, but ultimately. Um, you know, they've got a decent back line in terms of defenders you can rely on. They get goals from set pieces. Norfolk's a solid keeper on his day. But that, that forward line, I mean, f- fair enough to sort of Amar Ahmed, who you can't criticise him. He's, he's new to the squad. Last week, he scored a brilliant goal um, against, um, I can't remember who it was, but uh, I think it was against Degerfors. Degerfors, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, he's only 18 years old, really. So you can't expect him to do much. 
But Kim Pioca and, and El Bozzelli have been the boo boys for AIK after this game. And um, I think they've got a lot of criticism for it. And certainly El Buzzetti, I think there's a lot of question marks about him now. Who scouted him? Who bought him? Why has he been signed from, from like, you know, Lincoln City or wherever it was? Um, and is he of the sort of level that AIK want for their team? Mm. I mean, I, I tweeted something from my own account on uh, the weekend um, about strange results going on in Vars uh, Venskin and Elite Asarian. And I got someone uh, replied to me called Alberto. I don't know who he is or anything, but he follows me. And he, he replied to me about AIK because I mentioned their result. And he said, AIK basically didn't have their two best players on the pitch. Miyabi were good in defence and they just waited for an error from AIK. So I went and responded to him and said, who are their best two players then? And I knew... Jordan Larson would be one of them. Um, but I was interested to see who would come back and say the other player was. And he said their best forward is Bahawi. Now, I've just looked at his, He's missed the last three games, uh, Bahawi. Now, I've got to be honest, Nabil Bahawi, I've never really noticed him when I watch AIK. I don't watch that. I don't, can't kind of claim to watch that many games for AIK. But he's someone who never really catches my attention. But it seems he is very important. Has he been... A big, big miss for them, would you say? Uh, well, I would probably agree with your your man because simply because of uh, the fact that he he gets goals, Steve. He's he's reliable in terms of in that in that, that in that penalty box. He's a bit of a poacher. At least you can kind of rely on him to get on the end of chances and, and make a goal. He's not the he's not you know he's not the quickest. He's not the most he's not the strongest. You know he's not the most technically gifted, but he's kind of a workhorse. He's a warrior, and he'll put his body on the line and he'll get on the end of those chances. It's a bit like not like Gary Lineker, but he's kind of like a, you know, I'm trying to think of a sort of a poacher in the Premier League who he's a bit who he reminds me of a little bit. So, you know, there's someone in my mind, but I can't quite can't quite can't quite come to me right now in the Premier League who kind of just gets on the end of chances and puts himself in that line, you know. Um kind of like a slower, less mobile Chicharito, maybe. Um but yeah, he you know, so he is important to the team. And also he's a spiritual leader, I think. I think he, he he's someone who gets the club uh and gives us all. That's my opinion on him. So I I know what you mean. He can be someone you might not notice. Mm. Um, he's not he's not kind of a star striker, if that makes sense. He's not someone who's going to catch the headlines to many people outside of Sweden, for example. But in terms of the club itself, I think he I think he does stand out a little bit. Yeah, what you've got to say about ARK's form at the moment is they've got five points from 12 against Degafors, Mialbi, Helsingborg and Sirius. You know, that now that is mid-table form. Um I saw a tweet from someone called Andreas Vasenius at Vasenus who said, is this the worst team ARK has put on the field in 10 years? And a lot of obviously fans, you know, replied to that. And there was a big, a big discussion about it. Um, again, there was another tweet from someone called Robin Avalan. He said that uh, Kim Pioca and Zach Elbazelli are amongst the worst, uh, most sort of, um, the most powder dry teams he's ever seen, basically, he said. Um, so, you know, Fans are not happy about it. They do need a few reinforcements. They are coming. But then they've also got players like Bilal Hussein potentially going to Italy. So a lot to do for AIK this season. And I think, you know, last season I was so praiseworthy of them for coming joint joint top or second in the end, but obviously on goal difference. They're still only one point off the title. So, you know, we can't knock them too much. But I, I just think that they've lost that sort of defensive solidity they used to have and they haven't improved that, that goal tally. You know, they always, they never really average two goals a game, do they? It's always like 1.5 or... 1.4 goals. 0.93 xg in this match against Mialbi at home, which is again, it's just not good enough. Yeah, well, I mean, they've played 13, scored 18, so it's about what, yeah. 1.3 goals a game, 1.4. So, 
it's not good enough for a team who wants to win the title. It never has been. And, and they've always been about that, but they've relied on the defence. In certain games this season, defence has gotten them out of it because they, have, they don't, haven't played amazingly well. They're better as a underdog. Their build-up play did improve a little bit. Um, I remember the IFK game, for example, where they, they controlled the match. But all in all, they just, they're, not, they're not dynamic enough. They're not pacey enough. Um, and I think that's where it's costing them the moment. They had five straight clean sheets early in the season. But it seems a lot of those results were against better teams. And it, it feels like when they maybe are under pressure to, to break sides down, be the dominant force. I mean, I, I saw the goal. It, sh it should never have been conceded. There was a catalogue of defensive errors. They had numerous chances to clear the ball. Great persistence from the Mialbi striker, but that is not the sort of mistakes you expect from an experienced uh, back line, is it? They need to go back to basics and get a clean sheet back on the board, I think, Jonathan. It's kind of their natural way. Very disappointing for AIK. Briefly, do you see them rebounding quickly? They're only one point off it. So if Gudetti comes in if and, and gets a bit of form, if they dip into the... AIK will probably dip into the market and get one or two players. They, they're always a team who's active in the transfer market. So, in short, I was saying summary, yes, I think they can't, are still in it. But I think that Kimpioka, Elbuzedi, Amar Ahmed front line is really poor for, for a team like AIK. And I think, although it's temporary, um, I think there's an argument. I'm not going to say it myself, it's not my personal opinion, but I, I can see the argument for the argument that players of that level, what are they doing at AIK? You know, maybe they, they have a little bit more to prove, I think. If you've come from non league, it's very rare you'd go from non-league to the top team in in Osvenskan, one of the top teams in Osvenskan. So I think you have to prove yourself, um, and you can always go on your youth career and things like that. I know Kim Pioca was good at, at youth level and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but he, from what he showed in that game, he, he looked like a non-league player to me. Elbuzedi is a similar thing, you know, playing for like Lincoln City, Bolton. It's it's a different level. Um, obviously, I want those sort of players to do well. You know, I I, I study those leagues in quite a lot of detail. So. Any player from the lower leagues of England coming to Sweden is, is great for us, but they're not pulling their weight at the moment. And um, unfortunately, um, I think they tipped the balance against them with their performance against Mialbi. But really, I have to praise Mialbi as well. Can't can't finish this section without praising Mialbi because uh, the way they defended, especially in the last 10 minutes, was just, just exceptional. And I think they've got a player in Silas, by the way. We talked about the age thing and people have been criticising him. He's become the butt of the jokes in Sweden a little bit. Uh, I've already said once, I think it's unfair. Um, I think they've got a real player there. I think he, every game I've seen him, he looks top. Um, his goal was a proper poacher's goal. He hassles defenders. Um, he's lithe. He's kind of, he's, you know, people talk about his age and saying he's older than he is, but he, he's got this sort of like light physique. He, he gets, he, he's quick across the ground. It's not like he's an old man, if you know what I mean. Um, so, okay, facially features, he, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily look 18, but, fake, you know, in terms of his body shape and the way he moves, he really is a handful for defenders. And I, I think if he carries on this form, he's, he's, he's got potentially a future to go to a, a bigger club in this league, definitely. Um, and I would say also he's starting to outshine Mamadou Moro, who obviously was the main man out front for, for Mialbi. So fair play to them because what they're doing this season has been really impressive. Yeah, it's like we totally forgot Mialbi for a minute there, didn't we? Well done to them. Fantastic uh, result performance. You know exactly what you are going to get from that side. Now, I think the frustration for a lot of these sites of drop points is the door was open from Friday night because Malmo lost to Gift Sundsvall. I mean, some incredible stats um, from this game. Jonathan Malmo's XG was 4.12 in this game uh, as opposed to 1.32 of uh, Gift Sundsvall. I think they had nearly 40 attempts 
in this game. The goalkeeper of uh, Give Sunderland made 17 saves. I've never seen anything like it. It was like an absolute barrage. And I mean, I'm just looking at some of the misses. Abu Bakari had a particularly bad game, didn't he, for Mamo? He, he missed a lot of bad chances there. Mamo even led in this game. So <laughs> it was crazy. I know they cost a lot of punters on Friday night. There was a lot of people betting on Mamo uh, just to win the game or whatever, to get even two goals. And they, they were getting, uh, they, they really frustrated a lot of punters. But crazy game. Almost a freak result, you could say, because if this is played... 10 times, Malmo probably win it nine times, don't they? So, crazy game. Um, what did you think of this one? Uh, I think that Malmo have been poor this season. They're underperforming massively. There's rumours of dressing room unrest. I think on their day, they probably would have won the, the match. I think on the balance of it, they had a few good chances. The keeper was outstanding uh, for gifts as well. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't as if they had a huge amount of sort of high quality chances. Sometimes shots is, a, I think, a bit of a misleading stat because it's you know you can shoot from anywhere. You can you can p roll it in the middle of the goal and, and it counts as a shot on target. Doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean it's a good shot. Um, so sometimes you have to be a little bit careful. I think when you when you just analyze shots, obviously xG is a much better metric um, from that point of view, but. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, they did dominate the game in that sense. Once they'd gone a goal down, uh, two goals down, two two to one down, Pena scored a brilliant goal. I think it was his first in North Svenskan. Um, Anders Christiansen was obviously back. There was a few players rested because obviously they have a Champions League duty uh, tomorrow, <laughs> essentially, if you're listening, well, or today, depending on when you're listening to it. Um, but uh, so obviously Ola Toivonen wasn't, was completely dropped to the demise of my fantasy team. Um, a few others were kind of not in the team. But Christensen was back, which was a big thing. He he only lasted 55 minutes, though. Unfortunately, got an assist. Um, Joinga Berget, I thought, was, wasn't was amazing. Again, it's a case of, like, uh, you know, we're going to talk about Hacken in a minute. The one thing that I think puts Hacken top and makes me not really rate Malmo and maybe even ARK on, on their day at times, I think both Malmo and ARK just lack, lack pace. They're quite lumbering and sort of uh, languid to watch. You know, you look at... They don't have any fast... You're not going to have fast counter-attacks with Soren Reeks, who is, um, you know, what, 35 years old? Joe Ingeberget, who is 31 years old. And then, obviously, you've got Berman Savage up front, who's a bit younger, but he he withdraws. He drops deeper often. Um, you're not going to have fast breaks. And then you've got full-backs, Jonas Knudsen, 29, and Eric Larson, who's obviously... He can get up and down again, but he's 30. So they don't really have much sort of athleticism and physicality to sort of create those fast counter-attacks. If you looked at the Gifson's file against Malmo game and compare it to the Gifson's style Eurogarden game, Eurogarden had raw pace um, down both flanks, the fullbacks, they had a Sorrow, they had even Edvardsson, they had Redetanak is not necessarily quick, but they broke fast and they had players in the midfield pinging balls quickly with speed into the channels and, and, and you know, into the half spaces for sort of like counter-attacks with Gifson's style when they um, played a high line. Malmo don't really have that. And it's just it's just not all clicking at the moment for, for Malmo. So you could argue, yes, they on balance, if you play this game a hundred times, they'll probably win it, you know, ninety times or whatever in terms of the, the flow of the match. But um on the day, Andreas Anderson, who don't forget, remember he was um the man who saw uh saw one keeper off obviously after one game of the season when um, you know, they, they had a bit of a fallout, didn't they? He 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 was brilliant. Um so Fair play to him. I think, you know, they've improved. I think Ronaldo Damus has done really well. It's not Cristiano. It's 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 Damus. 
He's a uh, Haitian and um, he's got two now in two games and he's been quite good, quite good recently, actually. Um, so he, he was impressive. And um, yeah, he got his goal and obviously uh, all in all. He did well. He did um, well to get that goal. Got the winner. So, yeah, I think the, the thing is we're going to talk about in a minute. I think Milojevic is under a mm. little bit of pressure. There was rumours after this game that maybe they might be starting to look for a new manager, Malmo. Not sure if they're verified, but I've said it for a few weeks now. All just doesn't seem quite right at the moment at that club. Yeah, we, we are going to talk about the manager now. But before that, I mean, a crucial result for Gift Sundsvall, who, I mean, that gets up to nine points now in the table for them. And uh, it's been a miserable year in general, but they have won three games of football. The crowd were loving it. I, was, I mean, it wasn't a big crowd, was it, there? I was a bit disappointed. But I think they have a, didn't they have a history of beating Malmo. They beat them about three years ago, I think. It was like 3-1 or something, a shot win. So it's one of those places maybe Malmo don't like going. I sort of heard the goal anthem. Fast becoming one of my favourite goal anthems now. I do like a bit of uh, Gift Sundsvall or Jonathan. But, I mean, I look at the XG stats. It's, it feels like a very fluky win. I mean, surely, you, as a manager, you're going to feel a little bit hard done by there, aren't you? And I know he's coming under some pressure here, but he can't control his players finishing, can you? The, the bad finishing and that. So, is it one of those that you, you would put down as a freak result or is it just adding to pressure? Yeah, I think I've think I kind of answered that, didn't I? Um, I think uh, if you played it nine times out of ten, 90 times, I think they would win 90% of the time. Um, but they caught a goalkeeper who was fantastic. Mm. And I think Gibson Sun on the day probably probably deserved it in terms of the balance of coming back from 1-0 down as well, don't forget. You know, they could easily have got their heads down and, and, and you know, sulked and, and sacked it in. Um, and they didn't. So I think, uh, to be honest, the result is the result. I think that Mama didn't do enough in both boxes to defend or attack. Um, whether or not they're unlucky is by the by. I think you know, okay, they, they had some decent efforts, but like I say, they, I don't think they really. It wasn't. I didn't come out of it feeling like oh, they were they were slightly unlucky, but I didn't feel, come out of it feeling like oh, this was a massive injustice type thing. Um, Malmo, or Malmo, and of course they expect to beat Gisford as well. You know, no matter how many chances they need. So I like I say, I think they lack. There are certain areas they lack in that squad, um, and. Yeah, I think um, I think Milo- what it is. Milojevic then, yeah. There's been a lot of talk about him. He might potentially get the sack at some point. What are your thoughts on him at Malmo? Do you feel that they should be looking at change, replacing the manager? Should he be doing better than he has been doing? Yeah, he should be doing better. I think. I think, like I said, I think there's rumours that he, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm being honest, I, I think this ends badly. I'm gonna, you know, if I put my neck on the line. Mm. I, I don't think this is going to end well. Um, I just, I just, unless they can be active in the transfer market quickly, they bought a lad from, I think from Ligue 1, who you might know, um, from France anyway, um, that I don't know personally much about him. They are trying to strengthen actively. There's talks about, uh, there's rumours about, um, I think Saidi from uh, Dega Force, for example, and, and others. So if they can get the players they need, then maybe, and quickly, I mean, then maybe they can be all right. But now they've got Champions League games to, to add to it. They've had a lot of muscle injuries. They've had problems. You know, Kisa Telling missed the game again. Um, or he's going to miss the. You know, he's going to miss other games. He's missing. The, I think he's going to miss the, um, the Champions League qualifier, according to reports. You know, like he's missed so many games already since he come, he's come back. Um, I just think that I'm a bit worried for Malmo this season. If I'm, if I'm being honest, I don't think that. 
the only thing you could say is that obviously with this um the title race is quite tight at the moment and Malmo tend to be better in the second half of the season you know they can obviously always strengthen they've got money and they can keep their players and that's all sometimes a big difference if you look at Hacken who we'll move on to now can they keep Yeremiev who's the man who's basically firing them to the title at the moment um that's going to be a massive question whereas Malmo will always probably keep their players or have replacements um unless it's something unexpected so there's the little differences that could decide things. You know, they're not playing well, but they're not too. They're not out of it yet. It's four points. They've played a game extra though. Um, but there's just there's just a little stench of something not quite right. I remember this season. It just just doesn't. It just feels off in some way. And I, I feel like the there's no smoke without fire in terms of the rumors. So it just feels to me like it's a little bit sour, and I'm struggling to see how Milojevic gets out of it. Really, it just doesn't seem to be going his way. So I think he's got a lot to do to turn it around. Mahme Sibi is the player that you uh, are talking about there from Racing Club du Strasbourg. Nearly a million pounds they've spent on him. Spent all the last season on loan at Paris FC, Jonathan, actually. So I saw plenty of him. Physical, uh, big Malian who um, might potentially go well or might not. I'm not sure about him, actually. Um, if he can really... Strength, uh, strength in the midfield, then it might uh, might go well. So um, let's just have a look. What else we've got left here? Ricard Norling's another manager uh, under pressure. Apparently, he um, North Shipping are down in eleventh place. Another shot loss. This wasn't it. Uh, losing at home one nil to Sirius. There were some strange results going around this weekend. I must say, Jonathan, things have not gone um, as well there as expected. Unless you listen to our season preview, because who predicted them tenth? <laughs> Media predicted them sixth. <laughs> they finished last season seventh. Yeah, not a surprise to you. But they are tenth, and I'm not surprised. They're eleventh, in fact, and it's not a surprise to me. And I, I predicted tenth. Uh, and I, I remember explaining it on the show, and I said that that was the biggest, maybe that was the widest difference I think in terms of predictions from the media compared to what I thought. Um, and a lot of people kind of, I think it raised eyebrows a little bit that prediction, but it's going to form. Simple factors, Steve. They just their squad is the squad is not. They've sold too many of their best players mm. just as simple as that they have mitigating circumstances there's been some really terrible tragedies behind the scenes in terms of the Kazani situation of course um to deal with so you know human tragedy that they, they, they they've obviously there's obviously things behind the scenes that have been unfortunate but really I just think that the balance of the team isn't quite right they've got some good players and they've been unlucky with injuries as well John Carlos de Britos by the way I think he, I think he did a cruciate Daniel Ede I think was has been injured a little bit here and there he's he looked good um so they had a few injuries, but I just think that losing Ali Benro was a massive was a massive problem. And Rickard Norling hasn't quite got the balance of his team right. He's actually been really unlucky as well. He's just got COVID, so um, you know things aren't when it rains it pours for him. Um, but yeah, they're they're just they're just not looking good. Sirius did a job on them, um, and yeah, just I'm struggling to see really how they get out of it. Jonathan Levi, maybe Christopher Neiman are the two that they'd look to and say you know to get us out of a hole, you know, and they've just lost Abdul Razak to Anderlecht, you know, their main midfielder and he's a top, he's a top player. So um, they're just losing too many players too regularly, Steve, you know, Bergman Johansson, Adik Benro, um, now obviously Abdul Razak, you could name so many other players. There's rumours about Dagestal, he's only just came back at the beginning of this season and now there's rumours he might be leaving again. Um, so it's quite hard to maintain momentum if you're just losing all your best players consistently. Obviously, they've made loads of money, which is great. But um, 
you know, money can't play a run onto the field and play a football match for you. So, is it is it all um, Ricard Norling's fault then? Because, or is it just simply the squad, the, the tools he's got to work with? It's astonished me how few clean sheets he's they've had since he's took over. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think he's impl- I don't think he's implemented his squad well enough. Uh, his, his tactical style well enough. Um, he wants to play the sort of three four three slash three five two formation, or sometimes it's a four five. Well, sort of a three four two one. Losing Ali Benro as that focal point has been a real real blow. Neiman's a decent striker, but I just I just think he lacks that kind of. I don't think he's a lone striker. I don't think I think he lacks the physicality to be that reliable lone striker even though he will get you goals as a kind of a nine, as a poacher. Um, I just, I just, you know, if you, even if, if you look at it, they had so many people leaving the club in general. So many directors have left. There was obviously the crisis about the whole um, bullying scandal behind the scenes of, of, of like staff being mistreated. Um, the chief scout, Stig Torbjörnsson, has gone to AFK Jotterborg. Just They've just lost loads of personnel in general over the last sort of 18 months, you know, on and off the pitch. And I think it's caught up with them. And... Um, it's hard to sort of draw the line because I'm not there. You're not there day to day to say, well, Norlin could be doing better. It's it's hard to say where does those problems kind of leak onto the field, if that makes sense. But, you know, it's a bit like Ten Hag at Manchester United. I, I think no matter how good a coach you are, if the situation around you is kind of toxic, um, doesn't matter how good a coach you are, you're going to struggle because you're not going to get the players you might want. You're not going to all the external pressures are going to weigh on you. So um, I'm not surprised that they're sort of low in mid table. Let's put it that way. Okay, so the other three three results uh, we've not talked about. Hecken won, Elsborg won. Some crazy XG stats in there as well. Uh, Hecken with 3.4 XG and uh, only Drew. Varberg beat uh, Varnamo three goals to nil, uh, which is a good win for them. And Ante Van Hurt equalised late from the penalty spot for Helsingborg. One all draw against Kalmar. So I'm sure we'll talk about those teams next time um, in the podcast, unless you want to briefly mention any now. But... Um, there is. Um, well, we, yeah, we've got to give a shout out to Hacken, the top of the league. It was a crazy. I watched this game. Only over 2.5 backers were fuming in this game, Jonathan, I tell you. Yeah, I just want to very quickly, I think the one, I'm just going to make one point. I don't really want to dwell on it too long because we're running well over. Um, the, the difference between, you know, you talk about the teams at the top. I think the thing that I saw this weekend that really stood out to me was the difference between the top teams um, and Hacken. Uh, the so-called top teams and the team who is actually at the top, Hacken, is <clears throat> that main striker. I thought that if you put Jeremy F in that Jurgarden team, they'd have won three nil. I think if you put Jeremy F in that ARK team, they'd have probably come away with a point at least. If you put uh, Jeremy F in that Hammerby team, I think they'd have probably got to get uh, maybe something from it. I think if you put Matt, uh, Jeremy F in his Malmo team of old, he used to play for Malmo, um, they probably would have got a point or a win. You know all those chances they created. And I think he's become a real clutch difference maker for them. Um, the goal he scored against Elsborg just kind of out of nothing. Just a poacher's goal, find a tiny little split, you know, millimetre of space in the box and, and poached it home. I thought it was a brilliantly taken striker's goal. Um, and I really think he's been the difference maker so far. Uh, and I really felt that watching that game, I was like, you know, that's what all those other teams don't have at this moment in time for, for, for varying reasons. Um, so, yeah, I've just got to give a shout out to Jeremy because I think he really is leading that charge. For the title he's a great focal point striker isn't he I, it really is um a top man up front for them this year and he's a consistent goal scorer as well so uh just a brief mention then we've got uh this also involves uh 
Norwegian here, but the Champions League qualification matches are starting up this week. Um, we've got Malmo against Vikinger Reykjavik. Budaglimt are in action on Wednesday against uh, Faroe Islands champions Klaxvik and uh, HJK Helsinki as well for those Finnish listeners. They are facing a side from Latvia. Now, um, it's a long route, isn't it, if you want to make the group stages. It has been done, as Malmo uh, showed before. And um, a big priority, though. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to get knocked out early on, do you? Yeah, in terms of, um, you know, I mean, we talked about Milos Milojevic, the new Malmo manager. If I think if he get, if they if they get don't if they get embarrassed in the Champions League, I think that that will be curtains for him. Um, mm. Then I think the balance will, really will tip. This is a massive game for them. You can't underestimate it. Yondal Thomas proved you know how important Champions League is for Malmo, he, and if he fails here in terms of getting, I'm not saying to get to the group stage, but he's got to go quite deep. Teams like Viking, or they can't, can't, they can't take their eye off the ball against teams like that. But at the same time, they do have problems. You know, they've got Keith Telling, I think, is missing. Uh, again, he missed, like I say, he missed the Gisfun style game. He's got illness. Um, I think Reeks is going to miss the game. I think he picked up an injury. Obviously, Christensen, as I said, he, he's not quite playing full 90s yet. Um, Hedza Kadunic and Moisander have been ill. Uh, Toivonen. I think also had maybe a little bit of illness as well as the maybe artificial pitch. Adi Nalic is obviously out long term. Oscar Levicki is out long term. So, they, you know, they've got a lot of injuries. Um, you'd expect them to win, but I think it's going to be, a, it's a game they've got to be careful, Steve. It's like a trap game. You don't gain much if you win, but if you lose, it's going to be a disaster. I can hear the Admiral from Star Wars in my ear. It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a Budaglimter facing Klaxovic on the Faroe Islands. Uh, two-legged uh, tidies. Uh, I mean, I would, I'd be really shocked if either the um, Icelandic or the Faroe team got close to uh, these champions. But you just never know, do you? You know, that whole season uh, comes down to these games uh, sometimes. There's uh, several sides from the Faroes and I think Finland involved in the Conference League qualification on Thursday, but no one has from Sweden or Norway, I don't think. I've looked. There's a lot of matches. But, yeah. That's uh, Europe. I'm sure we'll talk about uh, Europe in future episodes. But yeah, that will do for the Swedish section then. Um, really uh, interesting times in the Alsvenskan, as we've said, tight at the top. And at the bottom, uh, some sides are starting to come together as well. So join us after the break, uh, where we'll be focusing on the Litisarian matters. Welcome back to part two of the Nordic Football Podcast. We're moving to Norway now. And if you haven't followed us on Twitter, do it at Nordic Football And if you haven't joined our Patreon, patreon.com slash Nordic Football Podcast, have a think about it. Weekend previews every week. We're on about a 60% win rate this season from about 37, 38, I think 39. Pretty good matches. Um, up and down this week. We haven't actually calculated the final slate yet, but I think we're about I think we've got about 60% this week or maybe just under. Um, but yeah, let's let's move over to Norway because there's been quite a few shocks in this round, as you mentioned at the top of the show, Steve. Uh, where are we at the moment? Because if we just um, kind of look at the table, we've got top of the league, Lillestrøm still. 13 games played, 30 points. Molder have a game in hand, 12 games played, 26 points. Viking third, 
they've played 14 games and got 22 points. So obviously, um, maybe tailing away a little bit. And then you've got Strom's God set fourth and Sartsburg fifth. It seems incredible to me. Buda Glimp sixth and Arlison seventh and Rosenborg eighth. I mean, as tables go, Steve, that is uh, all over the place, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I and mean, there's a lot of different amounts of games played. I think we've kind of got to wait for things to settle out. Um, you know, everyone uh, played the same number of games, see where we are there. But yeah, it's been a strange table all year, hasn't it? We've we've talked about this and um, results at the weekend. There were certainly some baffling ones, not just results, but also performances. And it's, it's been a bit of a, a strange season for that. Yeah, it really has. And I'm actually going to throw a question straight at you um, mm. because we did put out a call for questions and um, we didn't have too many this week, but we did have one from Josh Butler, who's just joined us about an hour ago on the, on the um, Twitter. And he says, are VIF genuinely in a relegation battle now or do they still have enough quality across the pitch to drag themselves free before they get embroiled? So let's maybe start there. Wallerenga, third bottom, uh, 14th, 11 points from 12 games, uh, one point above the relegation zone outright. Um, going a bit mad there. I mean, what do you think of Josh's question? And, you know, we've got an answer for that, Steve. Yeah, I've got them on the itinerary as a point of order. But now we might as well start with them now, that the Valorenga crisis. Josh, Josh Butler was that? The yeah. cricketer. <laughs> not Jenna. Josh Butler, sorry. No, I was looking now. I thought when you said Josh Butler, I'm like, wow. Um, no, but... Um, Josh is Butler 19. Yes. Shout out to you. Thank, Thank you for the Thank you question. very much, Josh, indeed. Um, yes, it's... Are they genuinely in trouble? I don't look. This is really difficult times for Bolleringa. They're winless in in what seven league games. The manager is under huge pressure. I'm surprised that he's kept his job for now. I, I, I've said before in a recent episode that it feels like a good time probably to remove Dargale Fergermo from his duties. Not because he's a bad manager or anything like that. He's a good manager, um, experienced, but. I'm not sure he's the right man at Volerenga right now. Um, it feels like they, they just need a change of uh, a manager, someone probably a bit more modern, a bit more modern approach, and who can get the belief back. But in terms of expected points, expected goals and things like that, they're miles behind where they should be. So he would argue, again, um, you know, I, I can't put the ball in the back of a net for my, for my players. But they've got problems off the field as well. They've just sold their goalkeeper, Jessel Hall, to Toulouse. They have today replaced him with um, Bratweit, who ex Hargerson uh, keeper was on loan at Nîmes this year in France. Uh, an inconsistent performer. He, he'll do a job for them, but um, I'm not sure about Bratweit. I think he has his peaks and troughs. Aaron Dolan's gone back on back to Belgium from his loan spell. Obviously, they've been without Christian Borkovic all season uh, right back um, he's probably not going to play a single minute this year there there seems to be even Ivan Nasberg is going to be leaving the club in um, at the start of August I think it's some Cypriot club I'm not sure exactly but he's going to be leaving so they need to get reinforcements and they've been they're aware of this and I expect them to be very very busy in the transfer window coming up this summer so it's very difficult times for Volleringa. They've actually had a week or so off now, um, but their next fixture is against Christiansen, rock bottom Christiansen at home. It's been labelled a must-win game, and um, if they don't get the three points, then Fergoma might be on his bike. But several pundits now have called for his head. They think he needs to go. I think he probably needs to go as well. 
Um, and I, a bit like how you said with the Malmo situation earlier, I think this could end, end in quite an ugly way. Yeah, they didn't actually... Am I missing something? They didn't actually have a game this weekend. No, they didn't have one, no, because their yeah. fixture was played about um, six weeks ago. Because I don't know why. Fair enough. A weekend off for them to sort of, um, you know, sit on the naughty chair and, and think about the mistakes you've made, I guess. Um, mm. And, yeah... Hopefully that answers your question, Josh. Thanks so much for following us. Really appreciate it and, and sending in a question. Well, there. I need to actually answer the question. Are they in relegation trouble? I don't think they'll go down. No, right. I think they've got too much to, to, to go down. They're too good to go down. I know that's said a lot in football, but they are for me, they are genuinely too good to go down. Genuinely too good to go down. Now, where have I heard that before? Um, many times before. But yeah, you're right. Uh <laughs> But then again, you know, if you end up in the playoffs, you know, who knows? It could be mate, playing um, Bran or someone like that, maybe. I know Bran have gone on some incredible winning streak, haven't they, I think, in the Obos. But, um, yeah, you never know. But, yeah, no, thanks so much uh, to Josh for your question. And anyone else who wants to answer questions, ask questions, please do at Twitter, at Nordic Football. We do actually have one other question, which uh, I'll come to later, because I know you want to go back to the regular scheduled programming of the discussion. Um, so let's go back to that and we'll drop in a question from SS Phenom at Trevi85 a bit later. Um, but yeah, for now, Hamcam Mulder is your top billing. Steve, you were disappointed by this because I know it was one of our weekend preview tips. Um, unsuccessful on this occasion. But you do have a bit of a debrief on this game and I'm interested to get mm. your perspectives on newly relegated, newly promoted, sorry, Hamcam versus title challengers Mulder. Nil-nil. Yes, I mentioned this game on our uh, Patreon uh, preview show. I also did a video of this on uh, Twitter. It was a, a strong pick for Mike on um, on Sunday. I, I strongly fancied goals in this game, over two and a half goals. And usually whenever I lose a, a, a pick, I'm desperately unlucky, Jonathan, um, and uh, things like that. But this was one of those where I flat out deserved to lose this election. I completely called the game wrong. Uh, ended nil-nil, and it pretty much deserved to end nil-nil. <laughs> Um, it's, it's difficult. Mulder really, I think, were not at the races. They they turned up and they, I think, they felt they were going to get an easy three points against a newly promoted club because they didn't even do the basics of football right in this game. Like passes were not going to their man properly. I'm talking basic stuff here. You can tell when a team's off. I think three or four minutes into the game, there was a defensive mix up at the back from them uh, between the goalkeeper. And they were very lucky not to um, concede a goal. Um, a, a lob went over the goalkeeper and just went over the crossbar. And you could tell early on from right from that stage, it was going to be one of them days that maybe they were going to labour to a bad performance but, and, and they'd find a way to win the game 1-0, 2-0, a bit of moment of quality, a moment of class. But there was very few moments of that in the whole match. Their XG for this match was one58 but it, half of that was effectively on one chance. And it was a one-on-one -on -one in the second half that Groden missed. The goalkeeper made a good save, but I don't care what goalkeeper it is. He had to, he had to score this chance. It was a bit of class because Dastro Fafana had a great flick on to him, but there wasn't enough of that from Mulder. And uh, I was very disappointed with their performance. You've got your credit to Hamcam. They had a good setup, and they, they certainly restricted the Mulder, which I'll talk about in a minute. But... Um, it was one of them days. It was the first real time this season that I, I was worried for Mulder in terms of their performance because um, they just didn't look that bothered. They lacked energy and um, they just they did not play well. 
tell us a little bit about Hamcam's uh, sort of three four three system, Steve, because mm. um, our good friend Tom Dent is there as assistant manager. Of course, it's his first season in the job, uh, and you seem to have a bit of a liking for them because if anyone who's listening is a subscriber on Patreon, every single week, pretty much, Steve has a Hamcam tip. So I know that you're someone who follows Hamcam very closely. I don't know if it's because of the name, you know, being Meat Man Soccer, of course, and uh, you know a bit of Hamcam. Um, but for some reason, you definitely have a you know um, a fondness for them. I'd say. Just tell us about their shape and and what are they doing this season? You know, what's Tom didn't got them doing? You know, what what are they doing to get these results? You're right. They have. I've had a lot of selections on them this season, either in goals or in terms of winning games or handicaps or whatever. And this is the first time I've really got them wrong, because I watched the Sarpsport game uh, the previous week, and um, Sarpsport, they although they beat Sarpsport three two, the first sort of twenty thirty minutes of that match, Sarpsport were all over them, um, and um, you know dominated the first half hour. And I expected Molder to do the same, like with a high pressing system, just get in their face and kind of grind them down because Hamcam defensively I think you can get at them really if you apply enough pressure but this 3-4-3 was more like 5-4-1 against Mulder they they, they sat pretty deep uh, at times but also did push up on occasion or when it felt right and um, they, 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 they the aim was to restrict I think the, the Mulder wingbacks Linners and Haugen, Um I noticed they hardly had a touch inside the penalty area. Martin Linares had one touch in the penalty area, which is very low for him. These wing-backs for Mulder have been getting forward and doing a lot of things this year, but Hamcam restricted the the supply line to them. And most of the XG that Mulder created was through the middle. And I think it was like Hamcam said, OK, you can have the middle of the park, or you can try to have the middle of the park, but we're not letting you do anything out wide against us in this game. And it is hard sometimes. It can be hard to break down a five-man defence, can't it? But it's not like it's an intricate, special system. A lot of teams do it. Mulder should be used to it. But, yeah, they Hamcam generally do set up 3-4-3. Three, three. Counter-attacking physical side, who um, I think are dangerous in transition. And at time, they, they could have won this game, actually. In fact, they probably... I don't think Hamcam played at their best. They, they'll probably look back on this match and think, you know what, we could have got the three points there if we were, if we were a little bit braver because they were not on their A-game either. Um, they didn't really um, have to break sweat for this draw that much. It, wasn't, it didn't feel like they were hanging on or anything. There was a couple of late chances for Mulder, but you never felt really that Hamcam were in under that much pressure, apart from this massive one-on-one chance. Um, but yeah, tactically... And I know what they were trying to do. Jacob Mickelson uh, definitely set it up here to limit the damage that Mulder do on the wings. And my final question on that, um, I mean, Hamcam, well, I've got two questions, actually. I'll keep them very brief. Number one, do you think, you know, in, in a sentence or a few, few words, do you think Hamcam will survive? And number two, do you think you'll have David Dutch with a final in your tend to watch again next season, you know, for maybe a third year running? I've got him in my fantasy team now, captaining this week. He's got a double game week against Hamcam and Yerv. He should be filling his boots. And <laughs> he he had one chance in the first half, which went down as like a 0.4 XG, which I disagreed with. I didn't actually think it was even a big a big chance at all. It was a difficult one. Um but he was they kind of snuffed him out of the game here. Hamcam with their physicality. Um, he just couldn't get into the game. Mulder couldn't get him involved as much as they would have wanted him to. And he had to drop deeper to actually make more of an impact. 
he's he's frustrating me because just when I was praising him, he, he had a game where he was basically ineffectual. So I I can't work this player out because one week, you know, which one I think he's back, he throws in a stinker of a performance. So although the whole team did, in fairness, uh, in terms of Ham Cam, I think they'll be absolutely fine. I think they'll finish between eighth, tenth, something like that. They. Um, in some ways, they are difficult to work out, but in other respects, you know, they only lost two games of football. This match showed that they're willing to uh, dig in and uh, grind, grind out a result. I wouldn't say they parked the bus, but they had a good tactical setup. I think if, if Mulder had scored a goal, it would have been different because then they would have been forced to open up and Hamcam are very vulnerable themselves if they're going forward and bombing forward because they, they can be exposed uh, at the back uh, out wide. And that would have been a big problem for them. But they never had to do that because they were never behind in the game. So, yeah, I was. Um, I think it's fair play to them. It's a very good. It was a, a good result, a good draw. Um, they might have feel like they got some regrets. They could have won the game on another day. Um, Mould have got to do better. Simple as that. Um, I was very disappointed in them, and um, you know they've got to pick themselves up. Let's move on and uh, shout out to Tom Denty for listening. Tom, let's hear from you because I haven't heard much from you this season. Give us a tweet if you did hear this show. I'm keen to keen to say hello to you. Um, Buda Glimt, you want to talk about them. Mm. Shock defeat. And I think that was another one of your predictions this week. So we're not having the best of times this week on our weekend preview show. But I know we got a few right. So we will recap that on our show later this week on, on Patreon. But um, a, def- a defeat for Buda Glimt. And... Before I ask you the question from my listener, let's just get your general take on it. Yeah, this is one of those where I, if I lose a game, this is how I usually lose a pick, uh, Jonathan. They should never have lost. They were the better team on the day, I felt. They were a bit too soft defensively, but this, I mean, at nil-nil, they had chances to go ahead and they didn't take it. Even at the end, they equalised in the 96th minute and then uh, conceded a late penalty. A shocking referee decision. I have to say it was a really poor week for referees in uh, Norway. There were some shambolic calls. Uh, Several out there were calling for VAR and even I can't defend um, not having VAR sometimes with these. I mean, these are appalling calls. Even VAR would have overturned. It was that clear and obvious. Um, You know, this was a a clear dive in uh, pretty much the last kick of the game that condemned Buda Glimp to a 3-2 defeat against Odd, who Odd actually played a good game, in fairness to them. They took their chances well, but I think Buda Glimp will look back on this and think, you know what, we we keep giving away sloppy goals, we keep missing too many chances, and you know, I was thinking they were back on track, but this is the sort of result I'm like, you know, they're not going to win, retain their title if you lose matches like this, and it might be a case of just trying to get back into the top three now, because... Uh, Again, it's not it's not really good enough, but they'll they'll know why they've lost this one. They will indeed, and let's move on to the question because um, I'm not entirely sure what the last question was from SS Phenom uh, at Trevi eighty five because he does say, guys, if you want to answer my question from last week, that would be great. Uh, I don't know if you scrolled back to find out what the question was, Steve, but I did ask him to clarify it. But he, he's uh. He's missed that tweet, but um, let's pick on the second question that he does have. He said, another question I had was, what do you think is the main reason behind Buda's struggles? I know they've lost a lot of key players, but they still have a good squad and maybe should be doing better. Uh, and to be fair to him, we have had this question a few times, haven't we, Stephen? Um, it's something that a lot of listeners want to know about. So Glimp, Glimp just seemed to be sort of slipping this year. 
you know, and it's, it's uncharacteristic for them, really, isn't it, Steve? I mean, sixth in the table, you know, 11 points behind Lillestrom. It's not really what we'd expect from him. Yeah. yeah, I'm just looking back into SS uh, Phenom. He's got a question about Sarpsborg, which I can, I'm going to talk about then soon, so I'll answer that. After this, uh, I've given a few theories before about what went wrong from this season, and I kind of used the, the European distraction as as an excuse, legitimate excuse in the build-up of games and turnaround of players. But even I'm struggling to think of excuses for this sort of result against odd away from home. You, you've got to, you, you've got to be professional. This is the sort of match that Buda Glimp would not have slipped up in a couple of years ago. They actually lost odd last year, one nil. It was a completely different type of performance though. Um, they, I think they're missing a clinical striker, Eric Bottheim, we often said if you put me or you into that Buda Glimp side up front, we would score goals, Jonathan. But I think now we are starting to see the difference between the likes of Bottime and perhaps like your Espiords and your Bonifaces because Pellegrino is the main goal man. And I think they're over-relying on him. Not enough output is being done from the other striker now. Espiord, like I say, needs to do more. Boniface needs to do more. And, you know, Sol Bakken, I'm not sure his head is quite there right now. More on him in a minute. But, um, yeah, they're not they're not scoring as many goals, uh, Phenom. I think that's the main issue. Like, before they could outscore anyone and, you know, get four or five in a game, that isn't the case anymore. Um, their defence statistically is one of the best in the league. I think the lowest team in terms of XGA before this round anyway. Um, but they're not scoring enough goals. Not enough goals then. Sim- simple as that. And um, I mean, I'll score in two per game, Steve. 24 goals. If compared, compared, compared to where they were, though, it was at astronomical levels. That's the thing. Um, mm. That's the difference. Like, there were stats off the charts. Um, that That is a difference, you know. They're still scoring. I mean, playing, playing devil's advocate, God said, I've scored 20 and they're four. I know it's only one point, but is, is Mulder scored less and they're second? Well, defensively, for me, this was their worst defensive performance of the season, right? But before that match, they have been unlucky, I think. They've made a few mistakes, unusual mistakes, or conceded low XG goal. The goalkeeper, uh, I've, I've talked about him before. He had a poor game. The first goal, he, he, I, for me, it's on him. And even the second goal, you could say his positioning's out of shape. I, I think he's not had such a good season. He had a good couple of recent games when they beat... Uh, Arsenal and uh, Christensen to nil, but it was kind of the old gremlins rear their ugly head again against Odd. So, yeah, his his level's not been as strong. So, yeah, it's, it's not just the offense, but the offense yeah, fair, could fair enough, yeah, could no. get them out of trouble before. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm playing devil's for there. You, like you say, they've been so good attacking wise, and that's mm. why so many fans and listeners want to sort of know about them because you know it's kind of tailed off a bit, but. Still averaging two goals a game, and I guess the balance isn't right, as well as the fact that they're just not tearing teams apart like they like they used to. Um, I don't know what it was. Jose Mourinho maybe put a spanner in their work somehow. But uh, yeah, let's move on. And thank you for the question as well, uh, and keep them coming as well. I think you mentioned about Salzburg there. Let's. Uh, y- y- there's a little piece of transfer news. Mm. Well, it was meant to be a secret, but all of Sobak and apparently went on a private jet to uh, Italy to talk about the potential transfer to Roma. Now, I think Napoli are also linked with the Budiglim wide man here, but it looks very much he will be on his way in the summer transfer window. I think basically he 
attracted way too much attention from their Europa Conference League run. And I think Roma themselves were very impressed with him. Um, so it would make sense that they would be interested in his services. In terms of the player, obviously, you know, you want to go, you're not going to turn down a move to Syria, are you? Even if it is, even if it does mean playing for Jose Mourinho. Um, but yeah, I think Bruder Glimt are going to have to prepare for yet another sale of one of their strong assets. I'm sure he'll fetch quite a lot of money. But again, it's not ideal, is it? Again, it's more transition needed, more reinforcements needed for them. And eventually, I think they're kind of paying for this success. Ooh. Seems like Roma are just trying to suck the life out of Glimt in every single way possible, emotion emotionally, spiritually, physically. And now, you know, financially. Probably, he wouldn't be surprised. Really. That's the sort of thing Jose Mourinho does. But it's, um, yeah, ultimately, yeah, I think... Uh, leaving Mourinho one side, but... You know they're 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 definitely. Uh, it looks like they've spotted a player that they like from that game, and and it's going to be another blow to glimpse sort of morale, isn't it? But uh, yeah, let's see where that goes. Um, one to watch, I guess. Um, and let's move on to the Viking Rosenborg game. Your only words mm. on this game so far was the word bloodbath. Let's yeah, hear a bit more. <laughs> it's a good game. This actually, I enjoyed it. It was a good one-all draw. Two traditional size, big rivals. And they went at it. There was some really good physical play here. Good tackles sliding in. A nice goal from Stefano Vecchia. Open the scoring for Rosenborg, who have got a lot of resilience about them away from home uh, this year. They, they don't lose many games of football, Rosenborg. And um, I think they will... This is what I kind of expected of them. I knew they would kind of grind out some of these results if needed at times. They're happy to sort of play ugly if needed and almost the dark side of football. But I enjoyed this game. It was a good one. Viking are a bit off form. They're struggling without Marisha and, and Trippich. But Trippich came back after injury. On He was on the bench. He, and then late on in, in stoppage time, he he put a terrible tackle in on um, Jensen, I think it was, the Rosenborg midfielder. Deserved a straight red card. It was one of the... I enjoyed the tackle, though, I must say. It was a proper old school tackle. It just sived him down, clear red. And then, like, Marcus Henriksen and a couple of the Rosenborg players just went in there and pushed him over. Henriksen was the guy who, unfortunately, the referee saw do it. And he got a, a red card as well. Now, red cards are not very common in Norwegian football, um, full stop. You just don't get many red cards in this league. You have to, I mean, there wasn't, there was a few around there recently. I mean, the, the Salzburg keeper had a red card as well, but this was like proper. Fisticuffs, there was um, a real commotion after this tackle, uh, after the game. The manager, Chetel Rechdal, said he hopes that Trippich is basically locked up and suspended for a long time after such a horrifying tackle. And the reason we're going to appeal the Marcus Henriksen red card, um, which I suspect he'll get banned for just one game rather than three. But um, yeah, it, it was a bit of a bloodbath towards the end, a one-all draw, which probably both will take. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly enjoyed it, Jonathan, I must, say, I must say. Yeah, and it doesn't do too much for um, Rosenborg's league position, does it? As we mentioned at the top of the, top of the section, uh, languishing in mid-table. It doesn't really do a lot for, for Rosenborg. But, like I said, they only lost two games of football. They have only played 12 matches and they don't have any European football to worry about. And there's some sides above them who will... I have to contend with that. And I would be really surprised if someone like, say, Strom's Godset finished above Rosenborg this season. They're not going to finish below Arlesund. 
no way is that going to happen. So that's immediately two teams that are going to automatically finish above. And then they might be able to pick off a side like Viking, maybe Sarpsborg as well. And then, you know, they're challenging in the top three again. So I don't think it's all that bad for Rosenborg. I've been quite high on, high on them all season, haven't I, Jonathan? I'm going to stay positive about Rosenborg this year. I still think they're a bit of a sleeper, um, If certainly if they can add in the uh, transfer window. Yeah, to be fair to you, you have been very positive about Rosenborg all, all year long. And I, I remember in the past you've sort of been slamming them for being second or third. So maybe you're seeing some positive signs there, which is which is fair enough. You're sticking to your guns and, you know, you got to respect that. Uh, also, as a side note, good to see Stefano Vecchio on the score sheet again. Uh, a very nice goal, by the way, as well. Um, looks like he's taken his serious, rediscovering this format serious uh, and taking it to the Norwegian League. So fair play, he's starting to look a bit of a shrewd signing. Um, a few more points before we wrap up the show. Uh, we talked about obviously the crisis at Wallerenga, um, but we're going to sort of wrap it with Salzburg. You, mm-hmm. The team you've enjoyed watching, haven't they? You've regularly yeah. beat the drum for Salzburg in the last sort of three, four weeks, and uh, you want to give them a bit of praise again. They're fifth in the table. Ex Hammerby manager Stefan Burborn seems to be leading the charge there. Always a manager who uh, puts his team's attack first, isn't it? And uh, looks like they're getting a lot of goals again in Norway. I'm going to the question that SS Phenom uh, gave us um, June 23rd. Do you think if Sarpsborg were to bring in a few better players to bolster their defence, they could potentially challenge for a top three spot? They arguably have one of the best attacks in the league with um, Linseth, Mygaard, Salatros, Heinz and Mullins. If so, who would you get? I'm not sure they would um, challenge if they brought in some better defensive players. They do have decent defensive players, as previous managers' systems have, have shown. It's just at the moment they are this billborn system. I, you know, the best comparison I can give it, Jonathan, is kind of watching Kevin Keegan's Newcastle United in the nineties. It's he has no thought to defence at all. Like they went down to ten men against uh, Sandefjord at the weekend. They won this match four three. The goalkeeper got sent off, and in the second half it's two all. And most teams would kind of time waste, just try and get a draw out of the game, right? They're still pushing players forward uh, a lot of the time. And even, they went 3-2 up from a penalty. And even then, he's looking for a fourth goal. They're not looking to hold on or anything. I ain't, I mean, I, he's it's been great for the neutral all year, but this went to a different level on Sunday. It really did. I've, I've never seen... Well, I've seen stuff like it before, but it was rather crazy just comparing where Sarpsborg were under, like, Mikel Stara, for example, or even Lars Behinen. Like there's just a, it's a a mental uh, game of football they're playing at the moment. They're, they're such a high press team. I think the highest pressing team in the league. Um, they're making they're taking so many risks at the back if needed, and it's cost them at times. But they are fantastic to watch. They're creating so many chances. They're the highest scoring team in the league, and I, I love it. I really do. I, it's fantastic entertainment, and it reminds me of that Hammerby team, who we very nearly did win the league with, and. Um, do you know what? I it's interesting that question. I don't think I think if you actually added a couple of even better offensive players who were like even more clinical, then then maybe they could challenge because he's not gonna even think about defense, this manager. Funnily enough, I thought you were about to say, Do you know what? I'd love it if they won the title, love it. Um, because it does it does sound like a Kevin Keegan team, four three keepers getting sent off. Um, you're right, that 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 billboard team at Hammerby, I remember one time they put seven past one team. Uh, it's literally all out of attack. Defensive balance is a little bit 
maybe they should rename him Kevin Billborn, you know, or Stefan Keegan, because he's definitely there's definitely shades of uh, of, of the Geordie Warrior, isn't he? There, you know. So uh, no, fair enough. My guard, two goals, Tveta, Vega, Selectros, Matasin, and Gawali, and off Kier in that match. So absolute goal fest, as you said. Um, fair play to Salzburg, and, and obviously they're in fifty. We're going to wrap the show up with one final question, which has just come on live on air. We're getting a few of these these days. I like the live on air questions. Uh, and it's Heskibo, our man Heskibo at Heskibo underscore ESN, legendary fantasy player. Um, it's a brief question, so well, actually, he does ask why as well. But he says, Budaglim and are currently 11 points behind Lillestrom with a game in hand. Which of these two teams do you think finishes higher in the table and why? And it's a good one to wrap up on because obviously we haven't really talked about Lillestrom this week, but they are obviously top of the table and, and leading the charge. Um, Lillestrom and Hacken, who would have thought it? But yes, what are your thoughts on Escobar's question? In a word, who finishes higher? Lillestrom. Yeah, what and good why? question. I've, I've just, I've got to do one more question before after this, by the way. It's from someone on YouTube, a YouTube-specific question, which I've forgot until now. But yeah, uh, if to be honest, until this round where Odd beat Budaglimt, I would have said Budaglimt because I think Lillestrom will fold. But that's a lot of points to make up. I think Budaglimt, I've got a feeling they're going to qualify for one of the group stages of the European competitions, even if it's Conference League. So that will take plenty out of their system. And Lillestrom have just got something about them this year. There's something going for them. They, they, they could definitely be a medal team, I think, um, if they can get through this sort of run now where they might not be playing as well. But um, yeah, I think it will be close. Budaglimt, I think, will really challenge for the medals as well. But Gun to my head right now. I'm going to say Lillestrom to finish above them, just. And you just basing that on European football, is that? Yeah, I think it would be a factor, yeah. To consider. Lillestrom also in Europe, though, so but I just don't really expect them to go that deep. So, say if Buda Glimp qualify for one of the group stages, that takes out, what, six matches? Six matches in the autumn. And um, that's it's a really mental period before the World Cup, Jonathan. I think it would hinder them. If they don't qualify for a group, then it will help them out domestically. So it's hard to say, into You've got to kind of predict how Europe qualifiers are going to go. Fair enough. And thanks so much, Eskibo. Great to hear from you. Um, good little last-minute question. And then you said you've got – there's one from YouTube. Yes. Don't forget our YouTube channel, by the way. We're nearly on 400 subscribers, which is, which is great. Uh, if you do like your podcast on YouTube, you can always grab them there. So um, take it away. Yeah, this is from someone called Helix Taiga, who is a regular listener or watcher on our YouTube channel. Um, who he doesn't have Twitter, so he actually asked, "Can we ask a question if you don't have Twitter?" Anyway, his question was a month ago. Actually, <laughs> this is how long I've took to answer this. So f- sorry, Helix. Thanks very much for your support. Tromso have previously quoted Manchester City as inspiration for their future philosophy of possession-based passive football. With Gauta Hellstrup in talks for a contract extension, how does this pleasing to the iFootball to have a home in Norway? Well, absolutely. I think it does have a home in Norway. They, um, Tromso have done pretty well under Hellstrup since uh, the promotion. They, drew, they do draw a lot of games. They've got a high possession system and a low pressing system. And it's, they'll counter-attack as well but in general yeah this possession-based system is becoming more widespread across the across europe and the world isn't it and uh, tromso i think also looked at their near neighbors buddha to try and create their own sort of definitive style 
it certainly does have a home and um you know some people criticize the plastic pitches but i think it helps tromso with this sort of football on the on that sort of surface because um i don't think they'll be able to implement this as well on uh grass which is not well kept so yes thanks for that question it's uh tromso not a team we tend to talk about much this season i must say i need to really go in depth on them maybe in a future episode but uh yeah, briefly, I think certainly uh, it's it's good to see and it certainly does have a home in Norway. Yeah, great to see that question from someone who's not on Twitter, actually. Uh, was it, did you say Helix Tiger? Helix Tiger, yes. Thanks a lot for your question there. And uh, one other, I'm going to actually read out a comment from the most recent YouTube episode, uh, which I have now. You might have just heard the theme tune kick in because I'm, I'm on the comment section. <laughs> um, yes, from our last episode, uh, X Mildax, you got a little bit of a dig there, Steve, because you got the start, you got your Prague's mixed up, by the way. Don't know if you saw that. Um, Slavia and Sparta, but I just want to read a, one little final bit from him uh, because it's actually it is nice to hear from comments from people on YouTube, isn't it? Because we don't sometimes dip into those comments um, as much as Twitter. Um, he says, X Mildax says, about Wilhelmsen, I kind of share Jonathan's sentiment. This was a discussion about Oscar Wilhelmsen potentially going to uh, Prague. I was surprised that out of all the players in Osvenskan, Slavia is going for him. I'm obviously glad that Slavia is targeting Osvenskan players, but I'm scared that given the price tag, people are expecting too much of him. Um, just yesterday, our former and currently best Czech striker, Jan Kustestein for Sparta, our biggest rivals. Slavia fans are obviously pissed off, but surprisingly, a lot of them are still like, well, we're going to sign that Swedish kid who we've never seen play, and we'll be fine. And I'm afraid people will turn on him if he doesn't deliver immediately. But when Iham Usu came last year from Hacken, nobody expected him to be part of the team straight away. He got a chance because of our injuries to centre-backs and he ended up being our best centre-back of the season. If there wasn't for the injuries, he probably would have been out on loan with some average Czech clubs. So I hope Wilhelmsen has the same fate if he comes to Slavia. Uh, smiley face. So yeah, no, I just wanted to read that. I know it's not Norway related, but it's nice to get comments and, and insights from people in different countries, obviously, who, who listen to the show. Um, so yeah, really good insight there. And if you do hear this, on your next listen, uh, drop us another comment because um, it would be good to sort of get you. Mildax. Yeah, yeah, I feel Mildax. guilty here. I, I forgot to reply to this. I saw it. I saw the comment. Probably liked it, I think. And then I forgot to reply to it. So I do apologise, Mildax, for this. But, uh, I mean, Prague. I mean, I got Prague right, didn't I? Does that, that's good enough, isn't it? You couldn't have got that. Surely, surely, that's, Republic. Sure, surely that's good enough, right? Oh, I mean, no, no, don't, no, don't start. Don't, don't get any more angry. No, Slavia and Spartan. I do apologize for You've already been accused of a lack of respect in the comment section there <laughs> by someone else. But, uh, that, okay, 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 okay. No, I, do, I do apologize for mixing those two up, I must say. But yeah, um, and but thanks very much. It's a great comment. Um, and it's nice to see people on YouTube sort of um, also enjoying the show. So thanks a lot for that. And hopefully, if you are if you enjoy your podcast on YouTube, then it's another sort of outlet for you. You don't have to necessarily be on the uh, interesting world of Twitter. So that will be all now. Um, Steve, I know we've got the games coming up in the in the Euro Europe, European matches. We did ask you about, you did ask me about Malmö. So I'm just going to, I don't want much analysis, but could you just give me maybe your predictions uh, for the following games, um, which I'll read out now. Uh, we have obviously Malmö v Kinga. I'm going to say a narrow home win in that one. Um, narrow? Yeah, I think... I don't think it'll be a massive win, but I think they'll win it. Like um, one goal win? Yeah, maybe one goal. Three one tops, maybe. Um, Glimp Klaxvik, what are you going for? 5-0. Uh, 
to Buda Glimpse in the first wow. leg. We've got HJK, but um, we're not going to talk about that too much uh, as well. Um, Viking, we won't ask about that. And then on the Thursday, Steve, 7th of July, um, Bruno's Magpies, I still can't get over them. There's, I don't yeah. think, is there any Swedish or Norwegian teams in, in the conference? There's not, is there? There's a few there might not be, Finnish. There might not be. Yeah, there's no Danish. Not this round. There's no Danish, is there? Yeah, they're coming at a later round, I think. Viking Urekovic, by the way, second place in the Icelandic Premier League right now. So, I mean, that league is not a great one, is it? Malmo, surely, <laughs> will have... They're not in great form. Maybe two goals, but uh, yeah, that, that'll no, I'm be... Get, I'm getting you talking now. I'm getting you more positive now on Malmo's chances. It's the route to the group stages, Jonathan, this. Well, it's a big game for them, definitely. But I don't have nothing they're not convincing me at the moment but anyway that'll be all now definitely we have overstayed our welcome to the bumper show as usual um don't forget to follow us on twitter at nordic Footpod if you enjoy it and on youtube as well like i say subscribe uh and our weekend preview show will be back later this week when we'll look at the weekend's games with a few tips maybe as well for you and um that will be on patreon.com slash nordic football podcast if you enjoy that kind of thing so thanks so much steve you've been very uh, informative today. Um, maybe next week again, you know, try David Dutch for Fana for your, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll see what you think of him next week. Your opinion changes every week. Um, but yeah, that'll be all from me, Jonathan Faduba and Steve Wiss. Thank you very much for your time, my friend. See you again soon. Pleasure as always, Jonathan. Thank you all for your support. I'll see you again very soon. Take care and goodbye. <laughs>